welcome to the Port Swing Orchestra podcast. I'm your conductor, Barry Stone. On the pod, I'm thrilled to be joined by Jessica Malios. This episode continues our series of conversations with artists participating in the Vast is the Sea exhibition series curated by Port Swing Orchestra, which consists of eight presentations of artists whose diverse works are united by their explorations of image, sound, and community presented by Collab Projects in Austin, Texas. The next and final presentations will take place at 7 and 8 p.m. on Saturday, February 24th. Tickets are available on a sliding scale at collabprojects.org. That's co-labprojects, one word, dot org. Jessica will present a work of video and sound entitled Subvisible at 7 p.m. Saturday, February 24th. Vast of the Sea is supported in part by grants from the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department, the Texas Commission on the Arts, the National Endowment for the Arts, and HEB. But before I get into our conversation with Jessica, I should tell you that Portsmouth Orchestra is an art project that pairs music recorded outside with images made on site, performed and recorded at home and away, solo and with others. Our orchestra is comprised of birds, guitars, artists, poets, and passing cars that spontaneously create ephemeral symphonic chance-inspired compositions. The original site and hub for all things PSO can be found at portswingorchestra.org. In addition to buying tickets, you can support PSO by subscribing and giving five stars to this podcast, following our feeds on Spotify and YouTube, or buying merch and recordings on our Bandcamp page. We also have a brand new album, Press the CD, collecting PSO's second year of pieces entitled Second Season. Each CD comes with a digital download. Jessica Malios is an artist and educator based in San Marcos, Texas. She earned an MFA from Bard College and is an associate professor in the School of Art and Design at the Texas State University in the photo department. Malios is a founding member of Lakes Rivers Artist Collective. Her work consists of photography, video, and installation exploring the physicality of light and space. Central to her practice are visibility, invisibility, temporal shifts, scale distortions, and destabilized materiality. Informed by the history of optical media and the evolving viewing apparatus, her research-based approach responds to sites and structures of cultural and architectural significance. Select exhibitions include Atelier Sigler Foundation in Dartmont, Germany, the University of Texas in San Antonio, the University of Virginia in Charlottesville, Virginia, higher pictures in New York, the Contemporary in Austin, Oregon Contemporary in Portland, Art Pace in San Antonio, Torrance Art Museum in Los Angeles, the Museum of Fine Arts in Houston, the Center for Ongoing Research and Projects in Columbus, Ohio, the Contemporary Arts Museum in Houston. Her work has been featured in Art Forum, Art Limited, Collector Daily, Collector Daily Glass Tire, Houston Press, Might Be Good, Modern Painters, and many, many more, including The New Yorker and uh, the Texas Public Radio. I've known Jessica for many years as a friend, a colleague at Texas State, a collaborator, an artist, fellow parent. When I moved back to Texas in 2007, Jessica was a part of an extremely talented group of photographers I met living uh, and working around Austin. Along with this group, for our conversation, we keep it current, focusing on Malice's work for the PSO's Vast of the Sea series. We talk about solar winds, lighthouse keepers, Iceland, observational towers in Dubai and London, all places where Malios has made and is currently making work in and about. We get into the weeds about opticality, time, and the apparatus of the camera, but also talk about more down-to-earth subjects like motherhood and the shared struggles to make work as a parent, educator, and an artist all in one. After conversation, we'll hear some excerpts of the audio which encompass the inaudible, at least with the aid of the apparatus. 
without the aid of the, the aid of the apparatus. Solar winds and sounds from the mountains of Iceland is what we'll listen to. Jessica Malios, welcome to the Port Swing Orchestra podcast. Thank you, Barry. It's great to be here. Yeah, cheers. So we are continuing our conversations with artists participating in the Vast is the Sea uh, presentation, performance, exhibition series at CoLab uh, in Austin, Texas, and uh, which is a presentation of eight, eight different artists um, over four Saturdays. And Jessica will be presenting on February 24th, that is a Saturday, at 7 p.m. And just as a reminder, you can get tickets um, at CoLab Projects at co-labprojects, one word, dot org, on a sliding scale. And um, there'll be fire, you know, a fire usually. Usually there's a fire, depending on the weather, but and then, uh, you know, free beverages and all kinds of things. CoLab has a concrete culvert on about an acre of land outside. There's two video projectors mounted on the wall that project on the ceiling on either end of this 40-foot by 10-foot by 10-foot culvert. There are moving blankets on the ground for viewers to gaze up at the ceiling and then a sound system that creates stereo fields on either side. And then presenters can be in the middle if they so choose, just as a For those of you who have not been following along, that's the context of which we're talking about. And these are all presentations that are one night only. So they have a kind of experimental sort of nature to them. And so it is in that spirit uh, that um, I'm going to turn it over to Jessica for you to tell us a little bit about what we might expect to see and hear on the 24th. Thanks, Barry, and thanks so much for inviting me. Uh, it is really nice to be able to show something in an experimental space, and I'm I'm got to see the first one and was really excited the way the audio operated in the culvert. So I'm going to be showing a video that is titled "Subvisible," and that means not visible without the aid of a special instrument. The visual component to the video work incorporates footage from Iceland. I was an artist in resident in 2020 there and filmed a lot of landscape type of work incorporating water from different vantages on the western part of the island and the eastern part of the island in really remote places. Some of the footage is taken from lighthouses and some is not. The audio component incorporates sound that is created with the use of sonification. And the sound is solar wind types of sounds from different archives, as well as sounds that are our human ears can actually hear, which is like weather sounds, um, some kind of field recording types of things, and the sound of my daughter, Cora, reading a story. And so there's a kind of weaving with the audio I've been working on for this work. So that is essentially like the audio and the video component. There's... um, 
different types of things that fold into the video that I think relate to just ideas that I've been working with for a long time. And one of the things I would say that I'm thinking a lot about with it is visibility and invisibility and desire. So that's what I'm able to sort of articulate right now. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a million questions that I have. A million. If you could talk about what sonification means, does that mean sort of like a visualizing in a sonic or auditory way a phenomenon that we wouldn't hear like solar winds i don't know if we listen to that but maybe we can detect it on a different kind of frequency or something like that what is what yeah. is sonification what are you thinking about the there sonification of radio waves is my ah, understanding yeah. and so they're basically generated through data and um because our ears can't hear these things and so the I I got a lot of the sort of um, resources and inspiration after kind of going down this wormhole, trying to figure out like how to incorporate solar winds, and I started listening to this professor um, Carolyn Crawford, who's an astrophysicist out of the UK, and I reached out to her, and then she kind of provided me with this just incredible amount of like links and all of these sort of public archives that she sources from when she's talking about observational, you know, astronomy. So she was really helpful and amazing, um, a little gift really. And so I started looking at a lot of the resources she sent me and kind of started digging more and more. I was interested in solar winds because I had originally wanted to go to Iceland to see the Aurora Borealis. Okay. Yeah. And so it was a desire to experience it, um, not through pictures, but in the flesh. And that was one of the driving forces behind that area of the world, as well as wanting to um, explore some lighthouses, which was a kind of, it was, a, it was some things I had been thinking about that related to like pan-optical architecture that former work has, has been engaged in for a long time, like videos that I've done in the past. Those were the sort of the two interests in that location. Audio is a new thing for me. And so it's pretty exciting actually to engage with audio really kind of for the first time I feel like in mm. in my and so I'm really excited actually about this this new this new video and and one of the things that I'm excited about is how it it you can feel it inside your body and mm. so um I'm in, I'm interested in what that's going to be like in the the culvert architecture for sure uh, yeah I mean the the you know the speakers that we we got for this thing are they they can do things uh, especially in the lower range and all that so if the frequencies are there that we'll, we'll definitely feel it and also it just bounces around that that concrete structure in a in a pretty pretty weird way well all that's fascinating I just I kind of want to back up and just say so with the Aurora borealis 
Is that a solar wind? What the hell? What does what is solar wind anyway? Is it just like uh, light beams coming from the sun? What are we talking about here? Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, sorry. No, that's so, okay. I just want to be basic. Absolutely. Like I am. <laughs> Aurora borealis is like the scientific name for the northern lights. Right. So right. Yes. Beautiful things you see in the sky and Emery, gorgeous things. Yeah. Absolutely. And and normally, I mean, I've only seen them in pictures. Of course, I did. I can tell you the story about I actually did get to see them there, but that's that's very different than the photographs that I've <laughs> seen my whole life of them. But all that to say the science behind it, and I know I'm going to butcher this, but I'll that's try. Right. My job is to put you on the spot and to, uh, you know, you know, talk about science stuff. <laughs> We're, we're from a perspective of artist, I mean, so you know. <laughs> but 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 from what I understand is because of the way that the magnetic poles can bring in. The, okay, so there is solar kind of bursts that come from the sun, right? And it's right. bursts of energy, right? Of energy that come through, and they tend to gravitate towards the poles, and so Iceland is close close enough. And right. so that's there are these like tracking devices you can really get into the weeds about. I used to like have them on my phone, like when are the northern lights going to be there? And mm. this whole kind of world about like how it undulates and um, how you're able to potentially see them. And so I don't I don't really know that much behind it in terms of like all the color, but I do know that when the energy interacts with gases, it will form certain colors. And so Mm. depending on where you are in the world, you might see red, you might see um, green is sort of the typical one you'll see in photographs, but I didn't see any color. Mm. And it was amazing to me that that happened. And it made me really aware again of the camera and the registry from the tool because I, when I did, I did have this, like it was my last night there. So it was during COVID, of course. So I had to like, we jump ship early. And so all that to say, couldn't believe I actually got to see them. And then I started to make pictures, pictures thinking that I'm supposed to make pictures. That's what you're supposed to do. And when I started to make them, I was holding Cora who was like four years old at the time and the photographs were terrible because they were the wrong color. They weren't what I was. They were Mm. green on the camera, and I Mm. was a kind of metal. I was seeing like a metallic color. Oh, interesting. More like a gray sort of thing? Yes, they were like a gray. They were almost like a cloud-like color, but at night. Oh, interesting. Like a true sort of shimmer kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I got really frustrated with the camera and just decided that it wasn't really about that. And it was just about just being there and holding Cora and watching. So that's what I did. And then decided later that I would do something with that experience. Mm. What What a poignant image, though. I mean, you know, just sort of thinking about that, you know, the failure of... Uh, documentation, you know, I mean, there's so much of philosophy that is, that is like the bound of the failure of describing the object or the observation or the phenomenon, right? I mean, 
uh, you know, in that gap is everything you know, <laughs> that we fill in, you know, from Freud to Wittgenstein or whatever it is, right? And it's that sort of that thing that we're always asymptotically sort of trying to get at, which is why we never stop making work or whatever, because we never can get to it. But here's this like very acute moment that is also, if you'll forgive the phrase, really just pregnant with meaning and 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 also and and um and preparation. It's not like you're like walking out to check the mail, right? For a year you plan to go to this special place. You have apps tracking these, you know, celestial happenings. A pandemic breaks out while you're there. And then thinking about your role as an artist, a mother, a teacher, a, a wife, a friend, all, all these kinds of things. And that sort of um, that tension between, you know, experience and documentation and, you know, what Sontag talks about, right? You can you can either participate or be a witness, right? And so you chose in this way to be a witness. And now, though, you're going to share that sort of witnessing through a different kind of mediation. How did you arrive at that kind of like, how did you decide like, well, I need to share this experience. How am I going to lend form to that story? How did that process sort of evolve? Well, I think you touched on a a bunch of really important things. And to answer that, I just to circle back on one thing you touched on, which yeah, I sure. think the role of phenomenology, like yeah. which is something that's dear to me and really where I would say my work comes from. And um, I think that when I'm making decisions about form, that is also with me all mm. the time. Mm. So I try to... I'm, pretty intuitive but i try to pay attention and i'm how do i describe it i guess well i've had a lot of time to think about it to be quite honest because it's that's what's happened the last few years but i kind of in some weird way needed that time um a lot of time that is to sit and sort of try to figure something out with this imagery that was also interrupted. The process was interrupted a great deal. So that was one of the reasons I think it took some time. All that to say, I came back to thinking about time as Mm. an anchor to move forward in how I was going to construct a visual. And so specifically, I started to think about these images of water that I was recording almost around the clock there and the wavelengths and and then the different ways that those change orientation so much like a clock in some sense right um but also allowed me to you know just think about all those kind of wonderful aspects of like light the articulation of light the transformation of light on a subject. And so water is a huge image, I would say, in the video, as is this mountain that I was looking at for a lot of the residency, which um, the light had just sort of crossed over the mountain. They actually, in this town, the small fishing village I was in, they have a big celebration when the mountain, I mean, sorry, when the light finally 
reaches the other side of the mountain and um, <laughs> they have these like, you know, these sort of celebrations of, of light and weather there, wow, which was yeah. really beautiful and humbling to learn about. And I think it's like it was remembering those things and thinking and looking through the footage and thinking just about these passages of time that really helped me give form to it, but also allowed me to reflect on my own passage of time with this and like just all the layers in some ways that you mentioned as like the parts of us, right? Uh, educator, you know, artist, mother, all those things that make us who we are. Um, I don't know if I answer that. Yeah, well, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's so much to, at the end, I just kind of wanted to make that long monologue of mine and into a question. <laughs> thinking about time, you know, and thinking about your work and thinking about what you, you sort of the context of thinking about how sort of envision time, you know, through a panoramic, you know, that's, you know, something that is sort of interesting to think about. I think about, you know, especially with water and the tides being controlled by the moon, these sort of celestial events, thinking about Galileo sort of standardizing time by looking at eclipses of Jupiter's moons, you know, those kinds of things, thinking about how we measure this, you know, time doesn't really exist until we measure it, which is sort of a quantum sort of, you know, resonance. All these kinds of things are are based on the human subject and then the instruments that we employ to make sense of the the world around us. And it's sort of interesting to think about, like, yeah, where do we place ourselves? So I think about, like, the observation towers. You've made videos, you know, in in Dubai, which is a kind of interesting sort of opposite of Iceland, but kind of similar in some ways, right? You know, like the hot version, you know, or whatever. But it kind of austere kind of landscape in its own sort of weather, very opposite of austere in many other ways. But um, but thinking about, um, you know, these kinds of uh, landscapes uh, of time, love you to talk about pulling some of those threads together, thinking about the, you know, opticality of, of, of the panorama, you know, the architecture, and thinking you've also are, have been involved in for a long time here now, a couple of years, thinking about lighthouses, right? And thinking about visibility and invisibility, and particularly women who maintain these, which has another whole dimension of visibility in terms of gender and roles and all that kind of business. So, which I think takes on a more sort of overtly political dimension, right? From kind of thinking about opticality as a sort of phenomenon into lived experience and what we see and what we Mm -hmm. value. So I'm going to leave it there. I mean, it's just kind of a long, sprawling thing. But if you could talk about that, how those things, how you see those things kind of overlapping. Oof. Yeah, it was a lot. I apologize. That's okay. It was great. <laughs> I'm trying to, so I think maybe it's easier for me to get to the overlapping question to talk a little chronologically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, take us through that, yeah. So I think some of the things you were mentioning about my interest in the architecture of the panorama really comes from, oh boy, it's been a while, Um, but, but reading about like optical media, the history of optical media 
in relation to like human discovery of perception, scale, the horizon line, mm. um, and further different inventions over time that allowed the human figure to be elevated to mm. see advantages. And right, right. The sort of Renaissance sort of idea, right, of perspective, point perspective. It's all coming from one subject, right? Instead of being flattened exactly. on the wall. It's all about right. us now, right? When we right. we take on the view of Giotto sure. or whoever it is, right? And this is the this is right. what the principle of the camera, right, is based on that same orientation. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And I was, you know, I was formally trained with like large format, so I've always been really slow and in a kind of present time with this thing because it makes you that way. And yeah. so I think that's absolutely had an impact on why I'm interested in these things mm. and give it to an architecture that's 360 degrees because it's also a camera. I feel those types of architectures are, and I've had experiences in observation towers where there's all sorts of reflections and abstractions occurring. And I feel like I'm in a camera obscura, but I know I'm not, but I think maybe I am. And so a lot of those kind of weird hallucinatory things that can occur with, with, and did occur, I imagine with early photography for folks, mm. uh, I am sensitive to, I guess, and have had experiences and think about those things and have turned it into work. And so the opticality for sure, like this interest in these certain types of architectures were coming from reading about the history of optics and, and in relation to an apparatus. Mm. But then also, again, kind of going back to that phenomenological experience, like it's also the optics of like what I mentioned, where are those are, there are these like real time abstractions. So if we, if I'm ta if I'm thinking about, for example, going to the observatory in um, Dubai at the Burj Khalifa, which I went to because it was marketed as the tallest tower in the world, and mm. I was thinking about, oh, again, this history describing of like this human elevation to be able to see uh, over and to think about the mm. power of that um, and the privilege of that mm -hmm. was something curious about and thought about oh, for a long time. So that sort of took me there. And um, in that region of the world, the weather is so impactful in terms of the heat that your equipment is disturbed and disrupted and it will give you foggy pictures. Mm. And that's something you sort of either embrace or you don't. And I embraced it and um allowed things to just happen. And then you start to just notice these kinds of nuances, I think, the more you start to embrace those kinds of accidents. Mm. And so the, the the sort of body, the optics of the body and the technology experiencing things is really interesting to me. And um, I think has been kind of a, a driving force um, in, I guess, my work in general, and so I do think that that weaves through into this kind of more current territory where um, I'm still thinking about the body and I'm still thinking about like what we're visibly able to see or what we're not able to see um, because of weird anomalies or like the deception of the, the camera or something. But like you mentioned, I'm, I'm now working on this huge project about women lighthouse keepers 
because I started to really think about light more as a, you know, a metaphor, but, and also something literal too. Um, And when I started to think about that, I started to um, hone in on these kind of women. I sort of see them as heroes in some sense, these caretakers, Mm. these caretakers of, of the light who were literally um, only kind of written into record, mostly not written into record, but some were written into record um, after like their husband would pass or their father would pass. Um, Mm. Most lighthouse keepers only got to those positions through men, Mm. Uh, but often they were informally doing a lot of the work. So there's this kind of pivotal book that I wrote, I'm not wrote, geez, that I read called (laughs) women. I wish women who kept the lights. Um, Mm. It's by a mother daughter team. Clifford is their last name and Candace and I'm forgetting the other woman's name right now, but a wonderful book The the daughter sort of created like spent just years and years creating essentially an archive of, of this um, kind of piecemeal documentation of women um, and slaves, uh, lighthouse keepers. And mm. so this book has been pretty, pretty amazing and, and inspirational into this new body of work. And, um, and I'm really really in the the middle well probably beginning middle stages because i'm attempting to like make a kind of experimental documentary film and i've never done anything like that and it's it's a lot of 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 challenges and work but um but it but fun stuff and yeah i mean i guess going back to things this thinking about systems of power like overview and vantage in some ways i'm you know i think i'm I'm really interested in homage now at this point in, in making, and I'm, Mm. I'm, this as a real, a kind of homage to light, but the reality of that, the way in which the history of lighthouses, right. They, they, of course they save lives, they're navigational aids, they signal, they're like, they're, they mean all these incredible poetic things and real things, but also in, in thinking about like, who's literally operating those things in terms of like, them up to date and handling them and like cleaning them and making sure the the flame is still burning and all of these things and they've gone through their own incredible um you know history from actually starting with a flame to now being automated right but there is still this whole kind of caretaking around these these um kind of forgotten places or towers lighthouses that that i'm interested in and a lot of these are decommissioned but many of them are still in use although they are now all fully automated but um there's still mm. a kind of caretaker at times but it's not a lived-in one anymore mm. uh, it's interesting to look, kind of lean in also on the sort of the metaphorical possibilities of thinking about observational towers uh, you know both in places like Dubai or or where or, or Seattle or San Antonio for goodness as a, you know a needle you know these things were uh, yep. feats of engineering or you know sites for world fairs and all that which is supposed to be exemplary of you know the finest things that capitalism has has brought us or the market but but also you know thinking about um, 
them as in relation to a body, right? Standing and, and a head and an eye and something like that. Um, and sort of ignoring maybe the sort of the Freudian interpretations of big sticks in the, in the, you know, <laughs> yeah. but, but more thinking about a kind of light and, and, and a perception, right. And standing above something. But also I think with the light, with the shift with the lighthouses, um, I just think it's really rich to think about also that metaphor of of kind of connection and a sort of immaterial kind of connection, right, or and care that you're literally sending a light out into the night with with the expect you know maybe expectation of of seeing somebody but hopefully not because they would be in sort of rough waters or something like that you know that sort of i mean it's it's um, it's an element of hope in some ways right that yes. that kind of idea um this sort of intermittent kind of radar that's being um uh cast out and i think having the human being as a part of that and also thinking about you know, that, that history that you talked about with women being, uh, you know, primary caretakers or um, enslaved people, um, mm-hmm. that, that's another dimension that I that honestly haven't really thought about. And that's just a, kind of blowing my mind a little bit. Um, but, you know, often we think about surveillance in these ways. We think about, you know, panopticons. We think about Foucault. You know, we think about yeah. all these kinds of all these kinds of things. Um uh, and yet here we have a kind of, um, I know, a, a more tender, I guess, homage is a, a sort of interesting way to think about it. Um, it's a less, um, I don't know, I think it's just more complicated. I don't want to say it's less critique because it's totally critique, you know, because it talks about all, all these things, you know, about what we value and who gets to do what and and uh, who gets credit and, and all Absolutely. that kind of business, you know, what what is danger, what is, you know. And, and how do we how do we sort of um, preclude it? And who whose job is it to do that? Um, mm-hmm. Whose job is it to pick up the pieces? Whose job is it to make sure that somebody doesn't fall apart? Um, right. It, it's usually women that are doing this, right? Um, uh, for sure. Um, I do want to to pivot and and ask you a question about it. So these do you have a date you're going to have a women in their work solo show that will feature work that you're thinking about here about this sort of experimental document in some in some form i don't really you know right still being worked out i'm not i don't want to give anything away or whatever do you have a date for that i do i i think so the date is um January 2026. I'm really, really excited about that opportunity to be able to show this particular project in that particular space. It's a, it's a, um, it's a special place for me. My mother took took me to that place when I was like, oh my gosh, I think I, I mean, I must have been, I don't know, 19 or 20. I mean, it was a long time ago, you know, back in the day, and. Um, so anyways, there's there's a kind of full circle thing for me just in terms of that venue. Um, well, I think so, it is the the longest running nonprofit, yeah. I think, art space in Austin for sure. And it totally makes sense. I mean, it was definitely going strong 20 years ago. Um, totally. You know, so it makes sense. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's January 2026. And um, I'm tentatively calling the film Signaling Light. And um, 
we'll we'll see. We what won't the hold you to it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. We'll um, check back in. There'll be photographic works too that um, accompany the the um, the film, and those are are too you know to be determined still in terms of what format they'll they'll really kind of come into. But I they're definitely going to I think um, be working from a lot of my interest with reflecting the paper and things like that. Mm. So bringing to the surface of the photographic paper and reflecting images that exist in the architecture or people or yourself or those kinds of things. Um, so I think I'm still going to be working in that manner um, in terms of like how they occupy that architecture with the, the projected um, film. Yeah. So, and are you as envisioning sort of darkroom stuff? I know last time, uh, you know, at Trinity, right? I think, no, not, sorry. It was at um, San Antonio School of Art, right? With that, when you had that oh, big installation yes. of silver gelatin prints that, that had that kind of mirror-like right. surface to them. Are you thinking mm-hmm. about, or are you engaged in the, in the darkroom? And then if that is the case, why, why are you still in the darkroom? I mean, I'm honest. 2024, everything's digital. You want to make things with crypto? Barry, Barry Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I was. I love that the way you just asked that. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm still in a dark room, as you know, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I'm also digital too. I mean, that's no, no, the- no. I'm just totally kidding. Obviously, <laughs> I, know, but I, I love the dark the room. I know, um, I know. I'm just playing. Don't them, email me. About it's it. such a weird I, I know I it's such a weird process because I like make all these digital negatives and so yeah. I'm like make collage and Photoshop and then I I print these these things on the digital printers that are these big negatives um, and then I go create something in the dark room with them and sometimes I cut them up and sometimes I don't and it just really depends where the collage will kind of come but there's a lot of chance operation going on in the dark mm-hmm. room which i love and yeah. um and so the other thing with for me with the dark room is like i think it there's just again it kind of goes back to a kind of opticality like i i really um it makes sense to me there's something just about it's sort of like when you i don't know how to describe it it's like looking through a telescope or something there's a there's a type of optics that my eyes understand when I'm working uh, with these materials and I'm, I'm also like, I mean, my background was in painting. So there is something very much like about the kind of optics of, of this weird chemical stuff that I work with and like the way that that arrives on the surface of the paper. And, you know, there's a lot of different kinds of abstraction that unfolds when I'm working in the dark room that I, um, that I really love. And, Mm. So yeah, I've been working with this this chemical process just to bring the silver to um, the surface, and then the show you were talking about. There, I was um, using really specific images that were decals from glass of an observation tower from um, the Shard in London that that I had documented, and um, and so there were some actual things that you could kind of see as image in terms of images but um Mm -hmm. they almost arrived like symbols or something in terms of the final form of that 
but I am still in the dark room and I still think in those optical ways. Um, right. Like you think about the form and what, what can sort of happen in that yeah. arena of developer and all that, all that stuff, all that chemical, you know, focusing light. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, um, as we wrap up, I mean, um, what else are you thinking about? Or, I mean, you have this 2026. What a what a wonderful span of time to be able to really think about this, what is a, a gigantic body of work, I have to say, an undertaking. And also that the new space, the women in the workspace is gorgeous, and it's not small. <laughs> oh, it's huge. It's, it's a huge, huge space. It's a huge, huge undertaking. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I started filming last summer, and um, I plan to film again this summer, yeah. and mm. then I plan to film again, and I, I'm like, there's a lot of filming that I still need to do, and then I have to edit, and I think I've got to hire people, and I there's just a lot going on that, and this is definitely not, um, it feels really different than anything I've ever made in terms of art, and mm. so doesn't feel like any kind of video I've done in the past. It's really different. And, um, and it's real, it's much slower and um, it just requires, I mean, I'm like, I'm interviewing women, you know, I'm like interviewing people and reading about books that they've read. I mean, written and like all these things and I'm having to prepare like a director and I don't know anything about director. Well, that's because you were, you've become one. I mean, I think that's, that's how it goes. Right. Um, but, you know, I have to say, you know, you know, of course you're, you know, making it up as you go along, but we all do, but I, you know, your, your process and your practice, you know, of course is intuitive in some ways, but it's also heavily informed by research, by preparation, um, and also just a, a kind of dogged sort of pursuit of what it is you want to do. So it wasn't just like whatever tower need, you know, was available. It was the tallest one or it was the one in London or or what have you. Right. And Iceland was important for that reason, you know, for, for reasons of, uh, for, for manifold reasons. So, you know, I, 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 I admire that, that sort of process, that sort of, uh, that rigor, um, in in the work, but then I also love the fact that it is it is tempered by this kind of playfulness um, and intuition. Um, abstraction gives a kind of uh, uh, a play for the viewer, uh, some room for them, for sure, uh, because it certainly could be an you know Andreas Gursky sort of situation or something like that, right? He, he's sort of dealing with that kind of you know a Richard Misrak or. I'm just trying to think about people who who have these kind of big, big overviews, if you will, um, and it's not necessarily like that. Even I think about the big camera, you know, in the Tejano Club, right? Um, oh wow, like, yeah. You know, yeah. but that I mean, it was about observation. It was about the apparatus. It's about this weird imposition, right? So there's this this giant camera. The giant cam was you know sort of placed in the middle of a uh, kind of a dance hall, Tejano dance hall, and just, you know, the music's going, and the people just kind of, like, did their line dance around the around the camera. Um, and sort of kind of oblivious to it. Um, 
which is pretty interesting on all kinds of levels. But um, there is something about, you know, there, there's a lot of thought that goes into these things. So um, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that you're bringing some of that uh, to, to the culvert on, uh, on Saturday the 24th. So um, is there anything else that you want to mention that we didn't get to cover? I don't think so. Um, I just want to thank you again for inviting me. I'm really excited to participate and um, yeah, looking forward to it. I think it's going to be awesome. So yeah, seven o'clock, February 24th. All right, Jessica. Well, thanks so much. And we'll talk soon. All right. Thanks, Barry. Okay. That's it. Thanks for listening to the Port Swing Orchestra podcast. Vast of the Sea is a series of presentations and performances highlighting the interconnections between sound, image, and community held at Colab Projects in Austin, Texas. We just heard an excerpt from Jessica Malius's video presentation she will exhibit on Saturday, February 24th at 7 p.m. as a part of Vast of the Sea. You can get tickets for, for that and the final performance by Skloss, and you can get tickets for that and all the upcoming performances on a sliding scale at collabprojects.org. That's co-labprojects.org. Vast of the Sea is supported in part by grants from the Cultural Arts Division of the City of Austin Economic Development Department, Texas Commission on the Arts, the National Endowment for the Arts, and ATB. Hope to see you there.